By downloading or listening to this podcast, you are agreeing to Moody's legal terms and conditions found at moody's.com slash disclaimer, including that the information provided is not investment or financial advice, and that Moody's will not be liable for losses arising from your use of the information. Hello, and welcome to Moody's Talks of the Big Picture, the podcast series that looks at key trends in global credit markets. I'm Jennifer Wong, a Vice President in Moody's Subsovereign Group, coming to you from London, and I'm your host for this episode. Today, we'll be talking about the global macroeconomic outlook and financial conditions for corporate debt. We at Moody's have revised down our growth forecast for the global economy this year following a rapid acceleration in growth last year. For some perspective on the rapidly evolving macro outlook and how these dynamics are playing out in the corporate debt space, I'm thrilled to welcome two fantastic colleagues to the show today. I'm joined by Madhavi Bokal from our credit strategy and research team and Christina Paget from our corporate finance group. Madhavi, Chris, thanks so much for being here today. Oh, thanks for inviting uh, me, Jennifer. Happy to be here. Thanks and hello all. First, Madhavi, if I could start with you. So we recently published an updated macro outlook for the rest of the year and next year. Can you give us a brief summary of what's happening with the global economy? So overall, the pace of the economic activity is slowing. uh, And to an extent, the deceleration from last year's about trend growth rate uh, in many countries is uh, really normal, natural. Um, But there are other contributing factors uh, that Um, we believe will hasten uh, the slowdown. And mainly these are um, high inflation, uh, which is is eroding uh, consumer purchasing power um, everywhere around the world. Um, And second, uh, we've seen a rapid shift in the monetary policy, uh, uh, which will dampen um, demand uh, as, as we go through this year and next year. Uh, now, financial conditions have already tightened uh, considerably. Uh, it'll take a few months for the tighter financial conditions and, and, and the tighter monetary policy um, to percolate through the whole economy. Uh, but that should contribute uh, a, a lot to um, this slowing growth narrative. So this isn't the first time we've uh, cut our global forecast this year. We cut it in March. It's the second time since the Russia-Ukraine conflict. And the course of the conflict remains difficult to predict. Will global growth be in jeopardy the longer the crisis continues? So uh, we did cut our global growth forecast. So for for G20 economies, now we expect them to grow by uh, 3.1% this year, down from uh, 5.9% last year, uh, which is about half a percentage point below what we we thought uh, global growth was going to uh, look like in March. Um, And you're quite right. uh, the longer uh, these challenges remain in place, uh, the more shaky the economic prospects for a number of uh, economies is likely to be. Uh, the longer inflation especially remains high, uh, the tighter monetary policy uh, will get in a number of economies. And that means uh, the downside risks for global growth are quite considerable. And what about the COVID lockdowns in China? So we've recently seen some relaxation in key cities like Shanghai, but this comes after many weeks of lockdown. Um, Is this going to drag on global growth? 
yes, it will, uh, because uh, China is the second largest economy in the world. It is very well connected uh, to many, many countries through uh, supply chains uh, since it's a manufacturing powerhouse of the world. So it will have an impact on global growth. We've reduced our growth forecast for China as a result to 4.5% from uh, the, for this year, from more than 5% earlier. But more importantly, the growth outlook for China, we expect economic growth to improve once the COVID lockdowns are, uh, are eased. But that said, the outlook will depend a lot on the response from fiscal and monetary authorities. Consumption growth especially has been weak in China for a while, even before the COVID lockdowns. And uh, let's turn to the corporate sector for a bit, Chris, if I could bring you in here. How is the challenging global economic environment affecting financial conditions for corporate borrowers? Um, Well, I think the best way to answer that question might be to break it up a bit, uh, both regionally and also by types of borrowers. So the investment grade market tends to be actually more vulnerable to these large-scale global events in the context that their presence is in a variety of markets. So a global company might be much more uh, sensitive to, to for example, what's going on in Russia and Ukraine. But the strength of their overall businesses and the diversity of their businesses and their profitability pretty much allow for a reliable access to capital. It could just be more costly. On the speculative grade side, those borrowers are far more vulnerable, especially since Uh, They have been trending lower and lower in terms of their credit quality, Uh, not because uh, their performance has been bad necessarily, but really just because they have very leveraged balance sheets. And that would be uh, most true in Europe and in North America. This market's, you know, uh, extremely dependent on liquidity and the risk averse nature of investors just at the moment um, is definitely negatively affecting that, that portfolio. I would say it's probably least severe in the U.S. Um, and in China, it doesn't really have to do with the Russia-Ukraine conflict, uh, more to do with the implosion of the China property market. Uh, and in Latin America, I think it's, it really just has to do with the overall um, investor aversion to risk right now. So we're seeing differences between the different regions and different types of issuers, investment grade and um, and speculative grade. But in terms of sectors, do you see some sectors as more vulnerable to a slowdown? I'm thinking consumer goods, which really benefited from a pent up demand after the pandemic. Um, And as this pent up demand fades, perhaps this will weigh on consumer spending. So, so absolutely. Um, I mean, overall, we're seeing increasing pressure on the consumer and it's changing their buying patterns alongside the switch from the pandemic to a more um, sort of out, you know, uh, out in the world oriented shopping patterns. So consumer products that did really well during the pandemic are definitely experiencing a downturn now. And then in the context of inflation, Uh, Many retailers are just seeing their consumers trade down to cheaper versions of the same same product. But overall, you know, the the cost side is also uh, being weighed down by the supply chain conflicts um, and inventory buildup that is just making it harder to to manage, you know, keeping things on the shelves, 
and keeping them affordable for the consumer. What about inflation, Madhavi? We've seen a series of supply shocks that have really pushed up headline inflation, but we're also seeing core inflation running well above central bank targets across many countries. Do you think interest rate increases that the U.S. Federal Reserve and other major central banks have been embarking on will be enough to bring down inflation? We have seen inflation rise, and to some extent, the inflationary pressures will just automatically fade. So there is carryover impact from last year, which will fade. The supply constraints uh, that Chris talked about have added to inflationary pressures. Uh, the supply constraints are artificial. These will ease that will help the inflation rate down. The shift in consumption that Chris talked about from goods to services means lower demand for goods, which means lower prices of those goods. And again, that will bring down inflation from the good side. Um, but at the same time, like I said, we've seen some increase in core inflation. So inflation uh, pressures are really spreading elsewhere. Uh, now, yes, monetary policy uh, rate increases uh, should help cool demand um, and uh, temper price pressures. Essentially, monetary policy um, is tightening uh, pretty much everywhere. Um, and uh, what that does is uh, it keeps uh, household spending in check. Uh, it keeps um, investment spending in check. And that essentially could, um, could, could prevent inflation pressures from lasting longer um, than they should. But it's kind of difficult to get it exactly right. Monetary policy affects the economy with a significant lag. Is there a risk that the Fed might overdo it and raise interest rates too much, Madhavi? Yes, that's, that is um, certainly a possibility, um, Jennifer. Uh, the, the thing about the Fed, though, has been that um, they have been quite uh, good at maneuvering uh, monetary policy um, as they've, they, they keep very close eye on incoming data. Tighter monetary policy has an effect on, on the economy with a lag. And uh, uh, it is entirely possible that um, the economy may s- the 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 full impact of the rate hikes uh, will um, have uh, an effect on on the economy, just as consumers are also reeling under uh, pressure from high inflation, and that could slow the economy faster and perhaps even push us into recession. Indeed, uh, recession risks from uh, tighter monetary policy are uh, significant, not something that we should underplay. It will really depend on the pace of tightening, uh, and that in turn depends on uh, incoming inflation data. If inflation uh, pressures persist, then the Fed would be forced to tighten a lot more aggressively, and that's where recession risks lie. In addition, the uh, Fed is trimming the size of its balance sheet. There are multiple central banks at this point tightening monetary policy, and we simply don't know what the impact of uh, some of these measures is going to be on uh, portfolio flows, uh, on on economic decision-making, and so forth. So yes, recession risks are, um, are high, especially over the next, I would say, six to eight months. And what about in emerging markets? 
So for uh, emerging market countries, interest rates have already tightened. They're, they have multiple challenges. The food energy costs are uh, one set of challenges. They've also seen some, some emerging market countries have also seen uh, their currencies depreciate. And so the imported, the, the aspect of imported inflation um, gets even stronger uh, or becomes even, even more troublesome. But that said, uh, most emerging market central banks, and I think here Turkey and Argentina are um, exceptions in the G20 universe, do have um, have, have well-established uh, monetary policy frameworks. Um, they are mostly, you know, inflation targeting. They have uh, been in this situation before. Uh, and so we, we, we do think that they will um, also, their response will also evolve uh, as the data comes in and that they will, they will uh, be able to uh, mitigate um, the sort of second and third round impacts on inflation that we worry about uh, in case of emerging market countries. And for corporate borrowers, Chris, what's the effect of tighter monetary policy? I guess the tighter monetary policy uh, will take a while to unfold because it's sort of interesting. Companies really enter 2022 with pretty healthy levels of liquidity, despite how much high leverage we saw amongst most borrowers. You know, but quickly the economic picture darkened and the high proportion of leveraged loans on balance sheets of low rated borrowers make us most concerned about rising rates since you know the, the bond market is much less vulnerable because of the fixed rate debt. So we do believe there's going to be increasing pressure on those company cash flows, although we haven't really seen it yet. You know, I think the problem is really if inflation stays high, and that has the potential clearly to dampen demand um, alongside those high input costs, we could really see more companies entering distress we, where we have really relatively few today. So we have a lot of low-rated companies, very little distress, but we think that picture could change um, if if the tightening continues um, at an aggressive pace. And what's the risk of overshooting and, and being pushed into recession? Well, given the number of low-rated companies we have, recession would clearly change the default picture And I think we would really see a lot more companies entering default. And maybe just for perspective, you know, a lot of these companies are owned by private equity. So what we would really expect is a lot of restructurings and distressed exchanges, maybe not as many Chapter 11s as we've seen in the past. And I'd like to look ahead a bit. And our macro outlook also notes that in the next few months, that will be especially critical And if the global economy can remain resilient over this period, the growth path could become more sustainable through 2023. Madhavi, could you explain your thinking behind this? We point to three developments uh, in the report that are crucial. So one is uh, the evolution of the Russia-Ukraine military conflict. Then the second is what we've discussed, uh, Jennifer, which is the speed and extent of the monetary policy uh, tightening that we are seeing around the world. And the third is the trajectory of of, uh, China's economy. And and so these three are really crucial. They are the, the impact of what's going on on all three fronts is still unfolding. The spillovers are still unfolding. And so we think that 
Over the next few months, we'll get a clearer picture of how the economies, various economies around the world are uh, dealing with these three challenges. And if they're able to muddle through despite these three challenges, then by 2023, we could see some of these, uh, you know, whether it's uh, supply issues or oil prices or food prices, right? We could see a resolution on on these uh, fronts, uh, which would get the economy onto a more sustainable, uh, a more resilient path. And thinking about our corporate default forecast, Chris, So as we see it right now, next year, we see defaults rising modestly, but staying comfortably below the long-term average default rate. What's keeping the rate relatively low? And is there an alternative scenario where we might see defaults rise significantly? Well, I think what keeps the rate low today is um, the massive inflow of liquidity in 2021 and, and even the fall of 2020. So even low-rated companies have very healthy maturity profiles and pretty um, wide access to their revolvers, and a lot of flexibility is built into their credit agreements. So over the near term, it's hard to be overly concerned about near-term problems with the portfolio. But I, I think that we've seen so much volatility and so many unpredictable uh, elements are going on in the macro economy right now, that, that a lot could change and that these companies, because they are weakly positioned, it wouldn't take much to push that default forecast into something much more severe. You know, my quick version of this is there's, there's very little space between our optimistic view and our base case. And then it gets really wide as you think about our pessimistic case. And our pessimistic case is pretty pessimistic. <laughs> Yeah, same on the macro front, uh, uh, Christina, a good way to put it. I'd like to end, as we do with all segments, with the lightning round question. So reflecting on everything we've talked about, what else will you be watching over the next year to determine where the global economy and corporate borrowing conditions are headed? Chris, I'll start with you. I think one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about is as we think about this contraction liquidity that's been uh, you know, sponsored by sort of uh, central banks around the world, eventually asset prices should contract. And we are already seeing that in the stock market. So I guess my question is, is this could create some restructuring among over-leveraged businesses, which had very different multiples in mind when they, they put that debt on the balance sheet. Um, and alternatively, we could probably see some publicly traded companies get LBO'd by private equity firms as uh, you know, they are. They often talk about the opportunity to take advantage of a downturn. Um, so, kind of a two-edged sword. So, LBO being a leveraged buyout. Yes, thank you. <laughs> and Madhavi. So, one of the things that I, I mentioned this earlier uh, to you, Jennifer, that concerns me is this collective tightening of monetary policy. We don't know how different central banks, um, which are looking at their own economies will amplify the impact when it comes to global financial conditions. 
We hope that central banks are taking into consideration each other's actions, but that it's it's still a big known unknown as to what that collective tightening will do. And the other thing, of course, we are watching is uh, the impact on asset prices. We've seen uh, asset prices come off uh, in in many um, cases. Uh, We are also watching the housing market because all of that feeds back into the macro growth narrative. So there's a lot to be watching over the next year. Yes, yes. Madhavi, Chris, thank you so much for joining today and for sharing your thoughts. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having us. Thank you. To our listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. This is now a wrap for the first season of the Big Picture Podcast. We really hope you've enjoyed the series. We'll be taking a bit of a hiatus over the summer and look forward to coming back with new episodes in September. Until then, I'm Jennifer Wong, and this is Moody's Talks, The Big Picture. Thanks for listening to this Moody's Talks podcast. To find out more about the topics discussed, please follow the links in the show notes. You can check out other Moody's Talks podcasts by visiting moody's.com slash podcasts.